to honor Jesus Christ through our Heavenly Father. I'm excited about this year. A lot of different things are going to happen. It's for me, some things I've never done before. Some things my wife's been wanting me to do with her for a long time. And that is to travel to Israel, the Holy Land. You all, uh, a couple of years ago when we thought we were going to be going last year, helped me to cover the cost of that. And now, it's a reality, and it's less than 50, 50 days away. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? I can believe it. It's just amazing to me that it's that close. One of the things about going is you know that it might be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, so you want to make the most of it. And so, over the last year or so, I've been reading a lot of the Old Testament and some of the history and some of the places that we're going to go before I go. So that I don't go, what's this place have to do with anything? Why am I here? What, what's significant? I'd rather say, this is significant and I can ask questions to help my understanding rather than my ignorance and trying to help me know what I don't know. You ever had the situation in your life where you knew you didn't know anything about it and your questions came across as kind of unknowing and you're thinking, I don't know if I should be asking these questions because it reveals my ignorance on the matter. Well, that is something I didn't want to have happen. I want to ask better questions. Questions of someone who understands more. And part of that was beginning to look at how they see the world. How they see God. In Israel, the Sabbath is holy. From sundown on Friday evening to sundown on Saturday, the country shuts down. They don't do anything that looks like work. They're allowed to walk no further than seven-tenths of a mile. More than that, elevators, they're not allowed to push a button. So the elevator automatically stops and goes to every floor. So you don't do any work. And to me, it seems like, boy, what a waste of time. You've got to get up there and do what you've got to do. But then you're in a hurry rather than resting, aren't you? Mm-hmm. To take the time to go up slow, to enjoy that day of not doing anything. But in our country, that just seems like a waste of a Saturday. Got so much yard work to do or things you can't do during the week or all sorts of stuff, family. The roads are still. There are no buses, no taxis, no cars. The roads are quiet. Can you believe that a major metropolitan such as Jerusalem or Tel Aviv is trafficless? Can't can't fathom that, can you? Try to think of going to Chicago or St. Louis on a Saturday and no cars. Not fathomable in our country. But they believe honoring God is more important than anything else. As a matter of fact, they refer to God as the Old Testament name, Yahweh. Now, Yahweh is the best they can come up with the pronunciation from the letters without the consonants. It's Y-H-W-H. 
That's how it's put into the Scriptures because no one is allowed to know the name of God. So they took the vowels out so you couldn't know how to pronounce it. From Yahweh or YHWH, the Y is also often pronounced as J. So if you put different vowels than the A and the E from Yahweh and instead put different ones in spaces, you get the name Jehovah. Jehovah, if you will. So there, it comes from the same thing. We don't know God's name. But when they spell God, they put a dash where the O is. Just like I have in the bulletin. Because they believe that God's name is holy, so you can't write it. We don't think like that. As a matter of fact, you'll hear people say the word God in every conversation, whether it's meant as respectful or not in this country, including in situations where God's name was never intended to be put, or His title. For them, honoring God is a way of life. It's not a Ten Commandment them. It's a whole society that honors God. I'm looking forward to seeing that. To watching that. Instead of saying, why do you spell God that way? I can ask different questions because I know why they spell it that way. And I have other things on my mind that I want to learn. It's not a good idea for them to do that. It's what they do. In the United States, the Ten Commandments are suggestions for a lot of people. And all the laws of the Old Testament, eh, I don't even know what they are. But did you know in the Scripture it says to write the Word of God on your heart, on your mantle, and wear them on your body so you see them everywhere you look. For them, this is serious. And they're very serious about their prayer times, called a prayer, they pray at the appropriate times during the day. The whole nation shuts down for prayer at the appropriate times. But, but you think, what about the factories? The whole nation shuts down for prayer at the appropriate times. Nationwide. There's not a, a, an exception. They think it's unfathomable if someone doesn't. How could you say you believe in God and not honor Him? That's what they say. Hmm. So, uh, I was curious. When I went to Europe, uh, I was in my early 20s, and I got to experience stuff. I didn't do any studying ahead of time, so I had no clue where I was or what time of day it was. I had jet lag so bad, I slept during the day most of the time I was over there. And I began to notice in other countries how they talked to each other and how they talked to me. And I began to ask them about Americans and what the general feel of the world around them is about America. And they said, well, sometimes they're a little too loud and they're always messy. We've been to their country. I was amazed in Europe to see no oil tracks in the middle of the road. They're not allowed to have a leaky oil car on the road. Nothing. 
You'll see some cars that are very nicely built, like BMWs, that they will sell for very cheap because they leak oil. Or there's some other mechanical things that we would drive all day long here and be happy to do so. But they are not allowed to drive an unsafe vehicle, according to their opinion, and they're not allowed to leak. Now, you would say, well, what do you mean, oil truck? Drive down any road in the United States and you'll see that it's darker in the middle than where the tires usually run. It's true. But you can look a little less carefully and see that most of our highways and byways have been trashed up by people who use the countryside as a litter bag. It is not that way over there. They would never do that. But our country, we got a piece of paper, oh, throw it out the window, you know, finish a cigarette, throw it out, catch, catch California on fire, <laughs> or oh, whatever happens there. But they would never do that. They would not, because it's not what they do. We do it. Now, here's something interesting. I was driving a bus, and I had different nationalities on the bus, and I watched how they responded. Every nationality that was not born in America that got on the bus would get on the bus, barely make eye contact with me, very rarely say anything, and quietly go to their seat and sit there, hands on their lap, until they got to school. They get on the bus after school, get on, quickly, quietly sit to their seat with their hands on their lap until it was time to get off. They get off the bus, you don't even know they were there. Not a peep. But the kids who uh, ride the bus from this country are loud, seeking attention, sugar high, most likely. Keith will tell you that this, and Diane will tell you too, they are not quiet in this country. And if it is a clean bus after I've swept it out for more than one route, I am stunned. They trash up their own living space because they don't take ownership in what they have. Why is this? I don't know. But I want to know why we, in a country that has a lot of things and opportunities available to us, don't respect it like other countries do their own. I was raised in a family that said, don't litter your country. Don't litter your state. I always thought that meant if you're traveling to another state, junk that one up. <laughs> I don't think they meant that either. But they said, don't mess up your state. You have a litter bag in your car. You can dump it out when you get to where you're going. It's not a problem. Don't be lazy. That's what my parents would tell me. So if anybody ever rides with me, they'll see garbage in my trash bag and what's overflowing on the floor because they can tell pretty clearly it's not on the roadside. But I'm not trying to tell you what you ought to do. What I'm trying to tell you is this country doesn't see things like other countries and we don't see God like other countries. It's very difficult for us to fathom how radical Muslims and other people can do the things they do in the name of God. But can you imagine the things we do not in the name of God, but throw God's name in it? What happens? Senate swearing in, I don't know if you saw it or not, but some use the book of law, some use the Quran, and a few use the Bible. 88% of our Congress are Christian, which they said was much higher than the national average of 72%. Didn't know if you knew that. But that was this week. And uh, some of the new people in Congress are using profanity. I believe 
that uh, when they do that, they're trying to tell us that they're here not for peace and to build a country, but to rip up and tear down, and they're going to use any measure possible. All I know is what the Scripture says is very clear. Love one another and love God. But we don't even know how to love each other, let alone God. We, we've, no one's taught us right. We don't know because no one showed us the example. And I don't know if you know this or not, but there's 88% Christian in Congress, 72% claim it in the United States, and 95% claim belief in God. Trying to do the math there. If 72% are Christian, but 95% believe in God, then I'm thinking maybe some of those believe in a different God. Mm-hmm. Or they're not Christian, but they believe in God. And then you got 5% who don't believe in God at all. But the people who believe in God don't have to qualify their answer. They don't have to say, well, I believe in God and, and this about God. I just believe there is one. Very good. Well, let's qualify what belief in God is today. So we can truly answer, do you believe in God today? Here's what most people say when they believe in God and they talk about God. They call Him the man upstairs. I don't know about you, but if I was God, I wouldn't like that title. It sounds impersonal. Like he's up there on the second floor and doesn't come down to be with us. That he doesn't engage. Some people say he's a white bearded man sitting on the throne pointing fingers watching who's doing wrong. I thought that guy was Santa Claus. Sounds like it to me. Some people say that God is out there and He just does karma. If you do bad, He does bad back to you. If you do good, He'll bless you. It's interesting that people think that, but it doesn't say that in the Scriptures. More than that, some people say that if God is love, why would He ever want to send anybody to hell? I've heard that so many times. And let me share something with you. God sends nobody to hell. We may pack our own bags and get ready for the trip and punch the ticket, but God didn't make us do that. We chose the path and the choices we make and take in our life. We are responsible for who we are and the choices we make. We, as a country, as a church, and as individuals, are the consequences or the results of the choices we make. Make different choices, you get different results. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Until you don't realize that the choices that you need to make are different or you don't know what are. Or maybe you do and you don't know how to follow through. I've been reading through the Old Testament, as I said, and I'm learning a lot a whole lot about God's expectations of a nation, of an individual, of a shepherd, of all sorts of people. And when I read it, I want to cringe and say, why didn't anybody tell me this? And why do I feel so convicted when I read parts about kings that had high places that they wouldn't tear down? 
altars and uh, gods that they left up rather than removing them so they'd serve one God. Amen. Well, I believe in God, but I got all these other altars to other gods. Our God doesn't believe in any other God. There is only one God. There isn't a bunch of them. And all of them that were handmade sooner or later are now gone. Well, their images and and idols that were made by hands are now gone. The gods never existed. Isn't it interesting that all of the old gods nobody worships anymore? Zeus, Poseidon, nobody worships them and yet that was the one they said was bigger than the God of eternity. The local gods. We have local gods. Did you know that? We do. And I don't know about you, but when I read Deuteronomy chapter 6, I cringe thinking, "Uh uh-oh. Maybe this doesn't describe you, (laughs) but it describes me. He says this, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land, the promised land, of which He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. Houses full of all good things which you did not fill. Hewn out wells which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, satisfied, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of your bondage in the land of Egypt From the house of bondage, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him and shall take oaths in His name. Where it says the Lord your God, Lord is capitalized, that's Mm Y-H-W-H. G-D. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Now we read this and we go, oh, you know, I believe in God and and all this and that destroy from the face of the earth, that's Old Testament stuff. (laughs) Why do we qualify stuff as Old Testament stuff so we don't have to do it? God says... If you don't serve Him, He doesn't want you on the planet. Eventually, you will be eliminated. Oh, no, no, no. You see, I'm not serving God. and I'm just fine. My family's fine. My fathers were fine. And grandfathers never served God. That's what people say. And God never destroyed us or removed us from the face of the earth. Well, let me ask you a simple question to those who think like that. Where are they now? Amen. Where are they now? Amen. 
Local gods. What are local gods? <laughs> I always wondered what local gods were. In the Old Testament, it's kind of obvious. Baal, Balaam, uh, all those different gods that they had resurrected and erected on those uh, wooden totems and mountains where they sacrificed to them. They sacrificed children to gods that didn't exist to find peace rather than choosing the one true God. A local God. How about this? Local gods here are what other people believe is true. If you're a good person, that's good enough. Society says, well, they tried hard. They did the best they could. Therefore, God's going to bless them. That's a local God. It's a local religion. It doesn't say that in Scripture. Do good and everything will be alright. What it says in Scripture is that the demons believe in God and they shudder. That's James 2.19. Why do they shudder and what do they believe? I'll tell you what they believe and why they shudder. They believe God is who He said He is. And He's going to do what He said He's going to do. And the demons can't do anything about it. Because they know His power and the end of the story and they believe and they know. We believe and don't know. Most of Americans say they believe in God don't know that kind of God. They think God is just a gentle, passive God. God is not passive. His patience, His forbearance is leading people to salvation. That's what it's all about. But we go after all these ideas and we go with the crowd and we end up saying, well, everybody else does it, so should I. Make excuses for... Uh, the Sabbath to be profaned and say, well, you know, that's Old Testament. But if someone else is profaning it, you shouldn't be profaning the Sabbath. That's uh, Ten Commandment. You should be loving other people and loving God. And that's not acting like you love God. But then here we do act the same way that they were. Why is that? Why do we not want to stand up for the truth in ourselves, but do in others? Why do we cast a stone rather than a glance in the mirror? It's a question I want you to answer today. I believe God's calling us to change our thinking and our ways. Hmm. I don't know that we think we need to. But Isaiah chapter 60 says, Arise and shine. It doesn't say arise and be critical and complain and find fault and judge. It says shine. And the only thing you can shine with is the grace and the light of God through you, which has to come through a relationship with Him directly. Otherwise, you're self-generating ideas. Anything that's not from God is self-generated and it's fruitless, pointless. To rise up, Isaiah says, as we did in our call to worship, to be His people. Now, I don't know if you understand what all that's about, but it says the glory of God is risen on you. God's glory. When you belong to God, His glory shines on you. And although darkness covers the earth, the Lord is going to shine over you in the darkness of the world around you. All I can say is I see this picture in my mind of a really dark place, but someone saying, God, I love You, thank You, Jesus, and all of a sudden there's a 
blast of light in that place. And the darkness around it starts fading away because there's light there. And it's the glory of God on that person who stands in the midst of a world that doesn't understand and doesn't care about what God is and who He is. So He's saying, rise up. Rise up out of the darkness and God will give you light. Some of us are stuck in misery and brokenness. But God is saying you don't have to live that way when He calls you to rise up. What needs to rise up in us? What needs to rise up in our world? I know that you might say, well, a lot of things. Well, I decided to make a list. And you can add more. But I believe over this year we're going to talk about things that God wants to rise up. Marriages need to rise up from shambles and poor communication. Last week we began putting tool in place. Kids need to rise up from dead living and thinking that their peers are more right than their family or God. The community needs to rise up from being a place of unsafeness to a place where God can reach out and people can walk safely down the streets and find friends on every corner. Families need to rise up and be truly families, not broken, but together. The church, this one and the church at large, need to rise up. The church has been silent and quiet. And it scares me to think that the United Methodist Church, in less than two months, is going to decide its final stance on the LGBTQ question. And they're going to decide how the church is going to proceed. And it scares me to think of all the things that are going to happen, but the United Methodist Church is not going to be united anymore. Because they're not united on this particular thing. And I say that because the church hasn't risen up to stand on what it believes or discern it clearly. The United Methodist Church. Why? I'm not sure why, but I think it's because they don't want to offend anybody. But the problem is, by not offending people, I believe we've become offensive to God. Faith needs to rise up. Our faith, your faith, needs to be stronger and built up. Hope needs to rise up in the hopeless and the broken the Onida mission trip this year. We're going to be talking about hope that is real, that changes lives. And we're going to see it in action for those of us that go on that mission trip this year. Who else needs to rise up? You need to rise up. Me. I need to rise up to the call, to the task. Additional ministries from this church need to rise up. And then the community to encourage other bodies of believers to do the same. Joy. Joy needs to rise up. Church is supposed to be a celebration of what God is doing and a witness of the transformation. Love needs to rise up and show that love trumps. Trumps. Our Wednesday night ministries need to rise up. I'm talking the food pantry is growing and it will get bigger. The clothing pantry, the 
thrift store, all those things are going to grow and rise up and have a bigger impact. Because God says, rise up. We can't tell Him where and when and how. We can tell Him, yes, we will. Prophecy needs to rise up. If God has given you a word about the church or how it can grow or some way that this church can build, that word needs to rise up through your mouth. A prophecy. The Holy Spirit needs lifted up and raised up. The name of Jesus Christ needs lifted up and raised up. Jesus Christ Himself said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all unto Me. So Jesus Christ needs lifted up, such as is our outreach as well. And today, I share with you, rise up is what I believe God's calling us to do as a church. And I've got a graphic to show you what it looks like. And I asked Glenn if you'd put that on the screen so you can see it. And I have something to share with you that we're called to rise up as a church. Our theme this year, 2019, rise up. I get excited because I see so many lives that are damaged and wounded by a past... Uh, they're raising or how they've lived and they don't think they can be anything different. But God's saying you can rise up from that. The phoenix bird rose out of ashes. Our lives sometimes feel like they're crumbled and broken and falling apart. And God says you're going to rise up this year. Your church here is going to rise up to do more things you ever thought could be possible. And you say, wow, we've done a lot, but this is completely amazing what God's doing here. Amen. It's a task. Rise up. It's a call. Rise up. It's a directive. Rise up. It's a mission. Rise up. It's a verb, an action. Rise up. It's a necessity. Rise up. The verse that really speaks to my heart on this is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And I want to share this verse with you and I think it will speak to you when you hear it the way it does to me. It says... My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, or unmovable. Now please understand, this unmovable doesn't mean stubborn. This immovable is a positive word when you use it in reference to the principles of the faith in heaven, in God, in the church. To be immovable off of the rock of Jesus Christ. Not to be immovable. I'm not doing nothing. I don't need to hear you say, I am immovable. I've done nothing for the church and I'm going to continue. I am immovable. <laughs> there's, there's people in the world who don't do anything for God. We don't need more who say they believe to do nothing. He says, so be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding. Knowing without question, that this God who the Israelites and the Jewish community revere as holy, say that your work in Him is not in vain. It's not religious practice. It's God made flesh. The God of all creation transforming us. Transforming you. Transforming me. I believe that when we see this year unfold, you're going to look around and say, we really aren't the church we were a few years ago. There has been a transformation here and we don't understand it, but, but 
God did it. And if you point, and if you can figure out where to point at the one thing that made it all happen, good luck. Well, you could say, well, it was the day that I became pastor here. So October of 2012, that's the day. That's when we began to rise up, but that's not true. I was broken. So were you all as a church. We weren't rising up, we were healing. Well, that's when it's... No, because before that, I had to be broken first, and so did you all or we wouldn't be a good fit. And so, it's the point where we got broken then, right? That's where God began to call us... No, because before we were broken, we thought we were okay. So we had to be okay first, right? And we had to think God's great and life's easy and everything will keep going status quo. And therefore, that's what caused us to rise up. And we say, no, that wouldn't have done it. And maybe we look at more recent events and we say, well, maybe it's the miracles we saw here. Or maybe those miracles were part of the process. Or maybe God's just trying to convince us that He loves this church, wants you to, and He loves His church, and He loves you. Maybe God's been doing this all along to get each person on board so that each one of us would embrace what God's doing. I can't tell you exactly what this looks like, but I have visions of it. And I see great things. And I share things. And other people share things with people in our very local community about the things we want to do. And the local community gets excited. Now wait a minute. Listen to me. They don't come here. But they're excited about what this church is ready to do. Now, Now they are. Now, if they are, and they're ready for us to do something, to rise up and do the ministries we say we believe we're supposed to do, would that not encourage you? Wouldn't there should be some excitement in the church as well? Shouldn't there be some excitement amongst us here gathered and say, look what God's doing through us. Praise God, He's counting us faithful. He's using us for ministry. He's raising us up. He's using us for His glory. I'm so excited about that. But we're going, well, we don't know what to do next. Um, Stop listening to the old voices. God did not call you to the old stuff. There's a verse in Scripture, and I want to paraphrase it because I didn't look it up. It says, God, behold, look, I'm about to do something new. Do you not see it? Don't you see it? I've been telling you since early October in the Vision Sunday, this is what God called us for. To rise up. I promise you, this is what He's doing with us. The more I pray about it, the more I seek it, the more God confirms it. I'm not skeptic. I'm not hesitant. This is the most important thing I think we can spend our time doing. James, sweet James, Jesus' baby brother James, you might say sweet baby James, said, Do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? By works, faith is made perfect. If people say they believe in God and they love God, works follow. Works before that, 
are not faith works. So you see then, we're not justified by works, but by faith. And the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Rise up is the work. And I know we can do it. I believe in you. I believe in what we're doing here. I believe in what this church is called to. And I would love to say clearly this morning that there's a clear path set before us and at the end of it is amazing. Amen. Incredible. The work God's doing here. And if we do His work, we don't got to worry about whether people come. Because God will draw people to His work. He always does. And that's my prayer for this church. As a matter of fact, I've done something for you. Hopefully you like it. That graphic I put on the rest of my notes on a half sheet of paper. So today when you have communion, you can come up and get one. There's plenty for everybody. So don't be shy. All of the stuff I've talked about this morning are on there. And you can put that so you can put this in a place as Scripture says, would it remind you? Amen. To post it somewhere where you can see it, be reminded to rise up. I've only got one, and it's for myself, of this. i got a coffee cup coming that says the exact same thing, so I'm reminded every day when I have my morning coffee. You know what? I may have to start drinking afternoon and evening coffee out of the same <laughs> cup, just to keep remembering. Drink my water out of it. Whatever else to, that God says, you know, hey, put pens in it. Whatever you need to do, keep remembering, rise up. But I want you to know that the communion today is a special call, I believe. A special call where you say, yes, God, I'm rising up. And I'm going to partake in this communion as an act of rising up with you. Now, it's a little different on how I'm doing communion today. I'll explain it when we get there. It's the same, same process of intinction and all that, but it's already torn apart for you and it'll be ready and sitting there for you. And so you can come and grab and receive and partake. And I won't have to hand it to you. But I will say this. That when you receive it, say, Lord, raise me up. You raise me from the dead. Raise me to life. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. <coughs> Heavenly Father, You have done a great work. And You're not done. You, Father... Your son said, My father's working and always will be working, and so do I. And so, Heavenly Father, work your work in us now, your spirit upon us, pouring out your presence and your grace. And I ask that you would be with us in ways we just don't understand, that we can tell others about, and be encouraged this day, and to hear your word to us. Thank you for that. God, may we not just say we believe in you like so many people do. May we put our verb, our action, where that belief is. Heavenly Father, may it start with us and may it become community-wide, region-wide, and one day nationwide. If that is the case of what we've done here today, Heavenly Father, praise Your holy name. Amen.